Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Alright, we're back! The Monthly Collab with Jess Mena, Dr. Jess Mena, D-P-T, in the H-O-U-S-E. So excited for you to be here. That's for sure. We're talking a little post-tip, the posterior, whatever tip stands for. That's what we're talking about yeah, later. Tibialis. Tibialis. So this is something that affects a lot of runners, and a lot of runners don't know what it is until they heard it, and then they still don't quite know what it is. I have always said it sounds like something that you would get at Texas Roadhouse. Like, I'm going to have – I'm either going to get the full slab or I'm going to get the post-tib, the tri-tip. Post-tib, tri-tip. Something like that. Exactly. There you go. But as we normally do, before we get into that, we're going to talk a little what's going on in Jess Mena's life because there's always some wild things happening. Today is no different. If you want to skip ahead about 15 minutes to get right to the post-tib stuff, feel free, but you're going to be missing out. So stick around. Why don't you? Stick around. we're talking ultras. Just Mena. That's right. Just, just picking up an ultra. Picking up, picking up, picking up. Yeah, I did uh, the Kodiak 50K last weekend. Um, and I think I'm going to slowly convert to the dark side at some point. It was pretty uh, spiritual. I can say that. Okay. Well, you seem like you had two really good moments last week, and they are both on different ends of the spectrum. Talking about the dark side of ultra running, you're excited about this. This, this. That is really cool, and I know you love trails, so it definitely works. I will say, a mere what, three days before then, you were pacing a 5K on the track. So it was a pretty oh, wild oh dichotomy here. I know. That was probably bad. I paced, uh, yeah, for the Tracksmith's 5,000-meter run out here in L.A. Um, that was actually after. It was three days after. But it's still, it was probably not a good thing because I showed up and I'm like, uh, I hope I can stick to this pace because it's a 7.30 pace. And I haven't ran at all this whole week because I was still pretty trashed from this 50k that i did in the in the mountains so yeah but i survived and i did fine and get injured super excited about that that's a big so, deal that's a big deal i i feel like it was a testament to i'm 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 a little fit right now and uh it shows i felt it i felt pretty good um doing pacing right after that 50k so which got me more excited that's a huge step to be able to do that. That really shows your fitness and strength more than anything. Um, That's what I found. My goodness, yeah. I know you've run a number of marathons. What was different about this 50K? Obviously, from a distance perspective, we're not talking about a huge distance difference between a 50K and a marathon. We're talking roughly five miles. Um, but that, but obviously, there's much more to it than that. So please break it down for us uninitiated. It is completely different. I think in a marathon, right, you go into it with the perspective of I'm going to perform and run fast and see how fast I can run, you know, 26.2 miles, right? And ultra, my first goal was I just want to finish. And I want to finish in a decent time. Um, my first being my first marathon, I knew I didn't want to run slow, but I knew I'm like, well, I'm not experienced. I don't know what to expect. I looked at the elevation chart. I mean, we're up at, uh, I think we did a climb of 6,000 feet and we're already at elevation. And at some point we we're running and there was a two mile stretch. We were climbing 1200 feet in two miles. So it's, I mean, okay. Think about it. I was thinking about this. The elite guys ran up these hills. And 
averaging eight to nine minute miles, right? Everyone else is averaging like 16, 15 miles. And you think that's, oh, that's easy to do. Uh, let me tell you, it's not easy to do. Um, at mile seven, I was questioning my decision for sure. Like, what am I doing out at here? At mile seven. So all you have left is a marathon. All I have left is a marathon. And I saw people almost break their ankles because the terrain is technical. They're loose rocks, bolt, big rocks. And we're flying down this trail. And, and yeah, people were rolling their ankles left and right. And I'm like, it's only mile seven. Like, how are we, like, we need to, I need to learn how to pace myself, bring myself down. Um, and I followed a few locals who had run the course many, many, many times that they just looked at me like, you need to slow down. You're not going to make it. And I was like, yes, ma'am, I'll slow down. Um, it's just different. I mean, the muscle fatigue, like in my quads, in my back was just neck. I've never felt that before. Um, and then you kind of get to this weird place where you're halfway there. You're at mile 15. You've gone through really ridiculous climbs. And then you question yourself if you can finish the other 17 miles. Um, so I think it's easier for I definitely went to my dark place numerous times where I had to talk myself out of it um, and tell myself that I was going to finish. Uh, but it was cool. I mean, the whole ultra running world is so friendly. And I've never met I mean, I know I'm in the community and people are nice, but ultra marathon community is next level. They will take the water off their back and give it to you. So it's pretty cool. So tell me when you went to those dark places, said so you're questioning yourself. What what were you saying and how were you able to respond to keep going? I was like, what the f are you doing out here? This is insane. No, I honestly, it just felt like it felt like it was something I, I couldn't see the end of this trail. You're climbing, you're climbing, you're climbing, you're trying to run, you're questioning, should I save my energy and run to the top of this hill or walk it? You know, there's 70 year old men, no offense, but passing you just, you know, hiking up really fast. And you're like, my, my legs were burning, my quads, my whole body was hurting. And it's a different type of hurt when you're, you know, at mile 18 and you're like, okay, but I, I can keep my pace. Not halfway through, you're, you're struggling and you're trying to figure out how am I going to get through the other 15 miles? And it's just going to be just as insane and tough. Um, I think the thing that worked for me was just taking my, like, I kept thinking one mile at a time. I didn't even think 10 miles in, 15 miles in just one mile at a time, get to this mile, get to this mile. Every time I would hear my, my, my watch beep, I'm like, okay, I got one more mile to go. Oh, um, you had the notifications on? Yeah. I had my little like beepery on every time I hit the mile it would beep. Oh um, God. I can't even imagine doing that in an ultra. I would think that would be like basically the GPS watch equivalent of like little rugrats in the back seat being like, are we almost there yet? Are we almost there yet? It almost was, but it kind of helped me because halfway through, I was like, okay, I got 17 miles and then it'd be, okay, 16 miles, okay, 15 miles. And I would imagine me running Santa Monica, like I've done 15 miles before, you can do it. Um, it's not the same as a trail, but that I had to psych myself out a little bit and put myself in a familiar place so I didn't panic or, you know, because once I think if your mind isn't there, it's your body responds to that and you kind of start feeling sluggish. So I just enjoy it. Listen to a bad bunny, you know, and watch all these trees. And I'm like, wow, I've never seen a big forest like this. This is kind of crazy. These huge trees I've never, you know, so you're just z taking in all the nature and magic of the forest, you know? So when did you sign up for this sucker? Um, 
I don't remember, to be honest. When was it? So maybe like five months ago I signed up for it. So you've been holding out. You haven't been talking about this at all with us. No, because I was very, I very nervous. I was very nervous about it. I just didn't know how I would do. It was something, you know, people saw me running the trails a lot. If you asked me, I probably talked about it, but it's just like a whole new world, you know? So I didn't know what to expect. So I just was like, I'm just going to keep it quiet. I'm not going to tell anyone what my goal is. I'm just going to do it and see how I feel. So. So you had a goal besides, you beyond just finishing? I, deep inside, I wanted to run under 7.30. Okay. So I was looking at the race course for the elite women. The course record was 6.20. And so I thought, okay, I'll give myself an extra hour. That is like, that is, to, that basically puts the whole like topography of the course and technicality of the course in perspective, right? We're talking about 31 miles and the course record was six hours and 20 minutes. Exactly. So to put that in perspective, two years ago... Yeah, two years ago, Des Linden set was it the American record or the world record in the fifty k, and she and she just barely dipped under three hours. Oh my gosh! How so? That so that is literally more than twice as fast as the the course record on this one. Yes, and it's not like elite women haven't done it. It's just that it's just super hard. It's super hard, and then and it's so funny because before I even looked it up, I was like, "Oh, I bet you people finish it in like four hours." And then I saw the time, and I was like, "Uh," because initially I'm like, <laughs> "I'm gonna run it under six. No, that would be a story. That wouldn't have been a story. No. So it was kind of cool though. Um, there weren't like I think it was interesting to see the demographics of who tends to run these races. It's not a lot of young people, um, so. I kind of thought like, oh, there's a little bit of opportunity to be a little bit more competitive here, which I thought was pretty neat. And that kind of, you know, got my competitive side kind of surfacing a little bit during the run. Did it, did it pan out or was that a little little youthful bravado early in the race? I mean, I finished top, I finished 11th place out of all the women. So I'm like, well, nice. I mean, I really could, I could have, I could have pushed it. I think I had more in the tank, but I'm happy the way that it turned out because I learned a lot from that and like fueling super important hydration was probably one of the most important things that I learned. And, um, now that I know what to expect, I signed up for another one. So we'll see how I do in January, January, which one are we doing next? <laughs> the Avalon 50 K in Catalina Island. So oh. I've never been there either. Never been on the Island. So I was like, I'm going to go exploring some, um, you know, Island terrain and see what that's like. I don't know much about that one. All I know is the Catalina wine mixer. If you if you know if you've seen the movie Step Brothers and you know no. that reference, <laughs> no, but um, I'm excited. You know, I when I was little, we didn't really explore SoCal, so like the snow, I've seen it one time in my life. You know, I've never sure I'm, I haven't done a lot of things. So you say um, you've never you've seen snow once in your life? Yeah, prior to me going to Boston, I had seen it one time when I was in college. My friends said they were going snowboarding, and I was like, oh, I've never been snowboarding or skiing. I want to see what that's like. And so I went, uh, but I realized like running this ultra, I'm like, I've never been in the forest. Like, this is cool. It's taking me out of my element. I'm seeing something I've never seen before. Right. Um, and I think that's probably why I'm kind of gravitating towards it. Cause I feel like it's going to take me to a different, different areas and explore the world a little bit. I love that. All right. So Avalon is that, did you say 50 K or 50 mile? 50 K. I, I think I might do a 50 mile next year. It's in the back of my head now. It sounds like it isn't. If you were holding out before, <laughs> you probably already registered and you don't want to say it. Okay, I, I am pretty pumped right now. I feel like 
All right, Jessica, you felt pretty good. I'm walking after this race. If you're you're pacing a 5K three days later, I I mean, I think it was probably smart of you to leave a little bit left in the tank because you didn't know what you were to expect. You didn't know. I mean, obviously it was challenging enough as it was. The last thing you wanted to do was be like, I got nothing left and I got 11 miles to go. Right. And so, yeah, I think I, I think if I really invest my time into this after CIM. So you're going to run CIM still? That was going to be my next question. Of course I'm running CIM. Of course. Of course. It's just it's a quick, quick little six week turnaround before the 50K. I know. I know. I'm going to have to ask you some questions because I'm coachless at the moment. So. I'm excited to talk. Yeah, we'll talk about that after. But let's let's get. Yeah, we'll talk about. Let's, let's, we'll talk let's about right it. now. Let's talk about an, an an injury that most people don't even know is a thing until they have it. And usually, and it seems like at least this is from anecdotal experience and people that I know who've dealt with this. It's not even an injury that like people like get too quickly. It's like oh. I have now gone through these other various injuries, and now we're realizing it's actually a post-tib issue, unless you have like a really experienced running-centric PT or running coach that's dealt with a lot of athletes that have had this. Um, I haven't, so I know I like I know coaches out there who've had a lot of athletes who've had this. So they've been able to say like, "All right, I can't diagnose you, but it seems as if this may be an issue, maybe something you want to check out." First of all, let's just define our terms. All right. Post-tib, what is this? Posterior tibialis. It is basically the mus- muscle tendinous structure that provides support and creates your arch in your foot. It's one of the, actually one of the most important stabilizers of the foot. Um, and it, it kind of uh, helps create like that little, what we call longitudinal arch. So a little arch in your foot, basically that's what it does. Um, You know what? And out of all of the repetitive injuries, this is probably on the lower end of frequency, I guess. It's common, but not as common as your typical plantar fasciitis, ecclesiastinopathy, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, that's what it does. It's important. So, without, so basically, this is how important it is. If your posterior tib, does not function correctly. It you can't really kind of lock in and supinate your midfoot, so your uh, your calf muscle can't actually power you off the ground very well. So without your posterior tip, your calf doesn't work well, um, and then you're going to be developing all these other calf injuries. Um, typically, you can stop me whenever, but typically the people that tend to have these injuries are on the lower spectrum of the arch, meaning very flat footed, low arched people, weak foot intrinsics, um, start training too fast, develop some, you know, kind of come across some training errors and wha-bam, you have this posterior tendinopathy that can be misdiagnosed for plantar fasciitis. So. All right. Let's talk about that next. How does a post-tib injury present itself to the runner? Yes. So most commonly they'll say they'll have pain kind of behind, you know, that bony prominence on the inside of your ankle, the malleoli right behind there. And they're like, I have this sharp pain behind that inside my ankle, or they'll have like a very pinpoint, um, sharp pain at the kind of like the base of their big toe at the bottom or in the middle of their arch. So interesting. So it could present itself 
you just said you just finished it off by saying in the arch, but you talked about this is where the, it's in the arch. It holds up the arch, so on and so forth. But it presents itself on either end of that physical range, yes. not exactly where it's located. Right. Is that part of the reason why it's so hard for some people to say, to, to diagnose it? Yep. And I think that's why it's just because it's, it, it really can present like plantar fasciitis, which is most people is what they'll gravitate towards. It's that. And then they treat the plantar fascia, they stretch the heck out of your planner. And I'm like, that's not, and if it's not that, it's not going to be helpful. Um, so then people end up three, four months later saying it's the same. And then you have someone else, you're like, oh, it's posterior tibialis, uh, tibialis and, um, uh, tendonitis. So, so it's a tendon. And so it's, a, does it like do like kind of like dips down below that, that medial ankle bone? Yes. And then it yes, goes into your exactly. foot. I had a PT who, and I love this guy. He misdiagnosed me as having post-tip oh. one time. I had rolled my ankle and I had, I've had such bad ankles now that I can roll like my, if you do like a stress, a stress test to my ankle where like you basically rotate it, mm-hmm. basically turn your ankle as far as you can go without hurting it and then take an x-ray of it and then see how far it goes. My, both my ankles go past 20% which is like oh, a drastic, <laughs> drastic number, which is why I had wow. reconstructive ankle surgery on an ankle. And they said, basically, you did. Oh yeah. And they said, when I had it, I they said, choose one. They're both awful. Choose wow. One. So this was when I was a sophomore in college. It was right after the basketball season. I did. I had reconstructive ankle surgery, but wow. So it was the same ankle. So I turned it trail running. You mentioned before people <laughs> spraining their ankles on the trail. That was me. And then he's like, I, I told him, like, I'm having this pain right here, exactly where you mentioned, right like between that circular bone on the inside of your ankle and the Achilles. I'm like, it's barely bothering me right here. And it turned out it was a bone bruise, but he diagnosed it as post-tib. Well, what is the common, one of the common remedies for a post-tib injury? He's taking the sidekick tool. Oh, he's scraping and he's it. Scra- he's scraping that area, which oh. is like, I guess, a common way of dealing with post-tib. But for someone with an ankle bone bruise, it's it not worse. great. So I'm like, this really hurts. He goes, yeah, kind of like that in the beginning. I'm like, well, I hope this works. So <laughs> oh for like for two months, I'm doing this twice a week. Oh, my God. I'm sweating. So finally, I'm like, I just, I just can't anymore. Like, this, it's not getting better. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's worse. Oh no! I, I don't. I don't know what's going on. He's like, yeah. Um, I'm like, is there any chance it's just a bruise? He's like, it could be. I'm like, well, what if it's a bruise? What do we do? He goes, well, we should probably not do what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. I feel like a month later it was fine. I just, I basically it's just like continuing to like poke a bruise, hoping it would be oh better. My God. Anyway, I don't blame him because most people who tend to develop. See, it's, it's like I said, it's it's not the most common thing, but people who tend to develop it have had some prior history of like an e-version ankle. So your ankle doesn't roll in, it rolls out. Yeah. Right. Or you've had surgery. Right. And that usually surgery leads to a low arch. And so the tendon attaches kind of here. So it'll like bump the ground every time you run. And yeah, and I'm not, I'm, not even, I'm not even banging on this PT. He's great. In fact, he works with some of the best runners in New England who have ever wow. run in New England. Some people who've been on Olympic teams. You might be thinking, who's the best 10K runner in America? You might have a list of three people. He works with two of them. So wow. I know this because I've yeah, seen them. In, his, yeah. I've seen them in the waiting room. I'm not going to say who they yeah. are because client, you yeah. know, client privilege yeah, or whatever. HIPAA, 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 but I'm just yeah, like, yeah. I know you. I know you. I know you. That's pretty uh, cool. When I walk in the waiting room, so like this guy knows what he's doing. But it was just a, a, an indication of how tricky this can be. 
It's so tricky. And I give them props because most most physical therapists may not necessarily diagnose that. That won't be the first thing people think of unless it's usually associated with trauma. Like you rolled your ankle, you've had something like that happen. And then it stresses because it's very, very hard. It's it's unless you have a pretty bad deformity in your foot, it's a little bit hard to develop posterior tendonitis because it's you protected by the sheet behind your bone, you know, you mean your malleolus. It's like there's a little cave that protects the tendon specifically for that. So people who tend to have higher arches are a little bit, uh, they are safer from developing a posterior tip tendonitis. But not immune. Not immune, but just a little safer. Okay. This is like the COVID vaccine. You're not immune. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little safer. Yeah, just a little. Um, <laughs> so I like it. I'm I'm pro. Oh I got God. boosted. I'm here, everybody. I'm just same, saying. Same, same, it's same. It's the same. It's the same. It's, it's the same feel, though. It's You're not immune, <laughs> but you are. You are in a better spot. All right, right. So, so we talked about this is kind of how it can present itself. So let's talk about what it means in terms of like for a runner in terms of all right, they get diagnosed with having post tib tendonitis. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are there different levels, different grades for this? And what are some initial timelines? There are different grades. Most of the people that we see in outpatient PT um, is grade one, which is inflammation. It hurts. It's sharp. You, you feel you're going up on your toes. You feel it. Grade twos and threes are kind of leading towards a tear, deformity. Those are surgical. We don't really see those kind of people. Most runners and athletes will develop grade one um, level, ten, uh, posterior tip, ten, the deformity or tendonitis. Um, so when you come to those, that point, especially for running, because it's so Im- imperative and important for running that these are the only people I would say, you probably have to shut down and put them in a boot. You cast them, you immobilize them. Don't put stress on the, on the tip, because remember, every time you take a step, it's the shock absorption, right? So it'll flatten out. It'll stress it. It'll pull it. When you push off the ground, it has to work. Um, so these are the people you shut down. You do a lot of initially the, you know, anti-inflammatories, icing, stretching the calf. That's initially what you do. And then once the pain has dropped down where people are not having pain with walking, then you start doing the strengthening, posterior tip exercises, eccentrics, calf raises, that sort of stuff. Okay. Let's talk about why this for some this injury for some people can be hard to shake. Okay. It seems like when people get this... Not that it's the same as plantar fasciitis, and you've talked before about sometimes it can masquerade as plantar fasciitis for some people. Um, why is this an injury unlike some others where it can continue to linger and continue to be a problem for some folks? I think you do have to put into um, perspective like other risk factors. Like, unfortunately, these are the kind of diagnoses where if you're a little bit heavier, it's going to be a little bit harder, right? Because there's just more ground reaction force with that or your prior history if you had any you know steroid injections in your foot if you had any other prior foot injuries you're more likely to have lingering effects so i think that's why from some people it might be like that and if you are a little bit on the lower end and you don't have orthotics right then that's something you might need to investigate and so people don't know that and so people don't want to wear orthotics um and i think for runners it's just hard to tell someone not you, ha- you can't run you know, they're going to be like, well, I, you know, I jogged a little bit before it started hurting. So I think that also comes into play too. It's like, well, how active are you? How much are you willing to kind of cut down? 
Um, and then it's hard to say, like, don't use your foot. I mean, you use your foot for a lot of things. Even if you're in a boot, you have to push off your foot. So you would have to be completely immobilized, which is very unrealistic for anybody. Um, but I do think other risk factors like age, sex, weight have a big, have a big, play a big role with that too. How does sex have a play a big role in it? For whatever reason, for whatever reason, I think it has to do, most of the people who are affected by it are women more than men. Hmm. Um, and I think it might just deal with maybe women tend to be a little bit more flexible, um, in the joints in general. And so, especially like younger women have more flexible hormone phases, pregnancy, all those things have to play a role. Um, so that would be my hypothesis. That's me. I don't think it's been researched or proven, but you know, when you see, when I see the amount of young active females and males women tend to be the unstable hypermobile right versus male tend to be a little bit stiffer interesting my immediate thought was like the correlation to like like females with like acl tears how just like how like the the hip angle the hip exactly creates- and it all starts yeah and it could be as something as, and so you could go back even with that, right? Even the shape of, if you have wider hips, your Q angle is much larger. So you're going to get that whole tibial internal rotation. You're going to overpronate versus some, a female who's a little bit squarer or has a smaller Q angle. So I think women's just bodies a little bit more, um, are more prone to those kinds of, uh, angles and positions. So it just predisposes a woman a little bit more, I think. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, that's good to know. All right. Um, now, with some injuries, there gets a point. Now, we've talked about this in the past. So, say like a you know pain scale, you know one to ten, right? Zero, mm-hmm. obviously. If it's zero, there is no such thing as a pain scale because there is no right. pain. But a scale, no pain. scale of like one to ten for a lot of injuries, they'll say, all right, if it's like four or below from a pain or discomfort threshold, then we can probably work through this. You can probably continue to run and you'll be able to run and heal at the same time as long as you don't do anything completely silly and stuff like that. If you're five or above, then we're talking about something different. Mm-hmm. With post-tib, is it that same that same threshold or is it different just because of running is a totally different thing on this? I think it's a little different just because of the dynamic and how important the tendon is, right? And then you have to think of ground reaction force, right? It's like at the, it's pretty much absorbing the whole shock of your foot. I would probably say most therapists, um, sports species would be more on the conservative side when it comes to posterior tip because when you flare it up, it's really hard to calm it down versus something else like your shoulder or your knee. Like, okay, we get to a five, we, we, we can control it. We can just, you know, not move your knee so much, not move your shoulder so much. But with your foot, you're probably, I, the way that I've treated, I've only seen maybe two or three people in the past. Most of them have been traumatic posterior tip, um, injuries, but we're talking like one or two, one or two, you can walk exercises no more than a three or four if it starts getting sharper you have to stop all completely so you really have to kind of rest the tendon it's angry inflamed um and it's really innervated kind of down by the foot you have all these nerve endings so your body's just already on overdrive try to protect you um so i would say conservative more than that four five that five rule probably wouldn't apply to that and this seems like a classic injury where if you try to run on it, not only will potentially linger and, and maybe even get worse, but because it's in your foot that you may be overcompensating in ways that you're not even aware of. And all of a sudden you're having a complete domino effect of maladies. Yeah, you'll like 
if the inside of your foot hurts, you're going to start walking on the outside of your foot. So people be like, the outside of my foot hurts. My peroneals hurt. My ankle my hurts. So I sprained my <laughs> ankle. My IT band. My back hurts. My hip hurts. It my like hip, really, my neck. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> neck, back, everything down like that. <laughs> That's it. That's it. We need a new intro song. <laughs> Busting rhymes out there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, so it's not good. That's why doctors, podiatrists, put them in a cam boot. You're in a boot for six weeks. You come out of it doing your exercises. If you feel better, you slowly get into a shoe, but yeah. That's it. So you get post-tib. We're thinking, we're talking cross-training, baby, right away. Right, feel, yeah. feel, feel lucky if you're cross-training on the bike because it sounds like you might be cross-training on a hand bike if you get post-tib. <laughs> the bike should be okay, honestly. Um, uh, if you're not in the shoes, the the biking shoes. This is a great point. This is a great point because there are ways to step into a bike, right? If you put your feet all the way in, so you're kind of pressing down on your heels, it's a very different experience than if you're pressing down on your toes in terms of in terms of where the forces are coming through. Which would probably hurt your posterior because, again, dorsiflexion would elicit pain. So you probably can't wear your cycling shoes when you're doing this. No, you have to just be stepping down on your heels. Yeah, basically old school, the whole time. Chilling, you're just chilling get out, out get there. Get on that. Forget Peloton, <laughs> baby. Get on your life fitness. Yeah, it might even be better if you if people try to like uh, swim, but just I mean, I'm not a swimmer, but if you wear fins and you're forcing yourself just not to move and you're just using your arms or something. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Most people, most runners are like, I'm not gonna, I'm not swimming. I'm yeah, just not. no, no, just, no. I'll just take the six weeks off. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So if there are people who are positively predisposed to post-tib issues or have had them in the past, right? I guess that's the key thing here because positively predisposed, how the hell could you know if you've never even had it before? If you've had it in the past, you don't want to have it again. Besides different exercises that maybe your PT gave you are there certain other things that they, someone can do, whether they're just generally strength, general strength exercises or different kinds of footwear, or is this just too specific for such a broad um, amalgam of people? My general consensus, and maybe a lot of people might agree with me, but people who tend to have weaker feet, which is the general people that tend to be plagued with posterior tip tendonitis, is start working out barefoot. When you and say working out, what do you, what do you mean by working out? When you're doing weights, lunges, squats, okay. all that stuff, um, and start practicing grounding, which is what we call, um, if you've gone through rehab, we talk about the tripod of the foot and trying to raise your arches and forcing your, your big toe and your, your toes to really engage. When you're in a shoe, the shoe does the work for you. When you're not in the shoe, you're really kind of forcing your, your toes and your feet to work and feel and grip. And, uh, like I said, feel more grounded. So I think that's really great. I work out barefoot, um, all the time because I have lower arches and I've noticed it's helped me out even with my balance. So doing a lot of balance exercises, integrating all right, that. Let me, you, let me ask you this question. All right. Yeah. So say someone works out, but they work out at like playing the fitness. Oh, okay. You can't be bump. You can't be bumping around playing the fitness barefoot. That's, <laughs> that's, that is true. You need to get some Vibrams. Everybody look up Vibrams. Um, and uh, there's, there's the zero shoes, right? I was going to say zero. X. Yeah, you kind of want a zero drop shoe with a wide toe box. I'm um, saying like the brand zero, X-E-R-O. Oh. They're like, 
I think they, they have me pegged on Instagram. It's like every Instagram ad I see is zero shoes. I've never bought a pair, but they, they here they go. They're, they're targeting me. They're circling. Yeah, those are good. So anything like a Vibram where you have it's very, very flat shoe, wide toe box. I think it's basically good to slippers. be in that. Basically, yeah, basically work slippers. Out slippers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, don't work out slippers. We don't want any fall risks or anyone slipping in the gym. But yeah, something like that. I think it's helpful. And if, and if let's say you're not comfortable doing that, I think even going at home and just like brushing your teeth on one foot, washing the dishes on one foot, or, you know, doing a few lunges, walking around barefoot or being conscious, like, Hey, I'm walking and I'm just going to practice not letting, you know, my foot collapse completely or doing your PT exercises. I think that's another thing too, is once you've had this, most people stop when they feel good. They don't, continue doing their exercises so this is like the moral of every one of these episodes Uh, yeah and uh maintenance you don't have to do it every day once or twice a week just do your exercises your band work exactly boom that's it takes five minutes exactly that's why it's why you keep changing your oil in your car people yep yep and i'm gonna be that's all i can say as it's funny because i feel like all therapists that's all we say is just do your stuff just do your annoying tedious things we all know it's annoying we all know it's boring we all know it sucks but it helps i love how you purposely made your voice nasally when you did like the <laughs> we we know how boring it is um it and it's is. funny that you're talking about the whole barefoot mm-hmm. aspect of this because going back to the beginning of this conversation one of the things we mentioned was oh this is an oh this is for some people is an overuse injury and when Born to Run came out and with other people who have picked up barefoot running and things like that, mm-hmm. this is a classic overuse injury when someone adopts one of these things but goes into it too fast. Exactly. Right? So it's That's like it. for some people, they're like, wait, hold on. Hold on. I just want to make sure I get this right. So the barefoot thing that I did caused the injury and the way to get out of the injury is to do the barefoot thing that caused the injury. And all of a sudden they feel like they're in a cycle. Yeah, no, I think what people miss is people get way too excited. I know what that's like. Human behavior feels good. I'm doing something new and you push it. You're like, you're trying to push yourself, push yourself, push yourself. You're like an all or nothing type of person. That's the problem. You prob- Most people probably wouldn't have that issue. It, it's like, um, when, like for orthotics, if you're wearing a new orthotic, the, requ- the recommendation is you wear it an hour the first day. That's it. You get out of it. The second day, you wear it for an hour, two hours. You get out of it. You don't wear an orthotic. You go from zero to nothing and wear it for eight hours. You're just going to make your foot all sore. Your, sore. your foot has no idea like what's going on. It's just you're putting it in a completely different position. It's like anything else. So, yes, you kind of go back to that. But the idea with rehab or training is you're working within 20, 30 minutes of you being barefoot and that's it. You're not you're not going to do like three hours of a workout. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Is there something we haven't covered? I feel like we hit it from every angle, but you would know better than me. What are we missing? Do your stuff. That's all. No, do your stuff, missing. People. Do your stuff, people. Do your stuff. Yeah. Um, this was great. I'm excited that you're going to be at CIM. I'm going to be at CIM too. Listen, there's Check a lot of people out, going people. to CIM, guys. If you guys are it's getting USATF there. National Championship for the Marathon. It's gonna be the, did I tell you about this? Yeah. A lot of times we, a lot of times we talk about this off air. We have like we'll record the show, 
And then we talked for an hour after the show. It was like a two-hour time commitment, these episodes. Um, but I will say, be at CIM this year, not running, going all media. We're going to do live shows for two straight days. Wow. At CIM, doing all sorts of stuff. So you're going to be there. That'll be fun. We'll make sure that happens. Ooh, we're gonna pass. We're gonna pass by like you doing a podcast. You're gonna have fans going from outside. Not for me, but maybe for the guests. <laughs> maybe for the guests. There we go. Is that that freckle dude? Is that the is that the ginger runner? No. So don't no, get ginger, there. Basically, ginger runner, somebody else. That guy just has freckles. That's what they're gonna say. Don't get there Saturday. You have to get there like Thursday or Friday this year. I always get this there on the Thursday. Year. Always. This is the year. This is the year. I always get there on Thursday. Friday live shows, Saturday live shows. We're going to be doing a whole panoply of live shows. Great. But I told, but actually, and I'll, I'll tell people this is what I this is what I did. I actually sent people who saw the Western States and Broken Arrow mm-hmm. coverage by Free Trail mm-hmm. may have seen live shows, a smorgasbord of live shows all over the place. I actually took that email from Free Trail that they sent to everybody who's on the, the Free Trail mailing list and said, hey, here's the 12 live shows we're doing over two days. I just, I forwarded that email saying, I'm like, hey, there's no reason why we can't do this. There's, there's no, no reason. reason why None. we can't do this. And I got a response back. They're like, you're absolutely right. Let's that's do right. it. Let's do it. So it's going to be fun, that's what guys. we're doing, baby. If you're not going to run, you better go there and just support. It's going to be fun. Or just check out the live shows. We're gonna be we're gonna be hitting it. So either we're we're gonna find a platform on YouTube that we're gonna be posting all oh, these. Great. I'm telling all these people now because get ready, get ready when I start hitting this up. Um. So, Jess Mena, you rock as you always. Rock. Thank you for dropping the knowledge. No it's problem. always appreciated. Mamet. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.